So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. You could just see the tech workers running into conference rooms and unplugging all the machines. So it wasn't your typical day at the office. It takes quite a lot for an IT guy to run as well. It's quite serious. <laughs> Normally they're kind of slouching along, aren't they? Just loafing around. But it's like, whoa, we've got a big problem here. Smashing Security, Episode 116. Stalking debtors, Facebook farce, and a cyber insurance snag. With Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security episode 116. My name is Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol. Hello. Hello. Well, we are joined today by a special guest. He's brand new to the show. It's Joe Carrigan. Is it Carrigan or Corrigan? Carrigan. With an A, yeah. Carrigan. Welcome to the show, Joe. <laughs> I said it, and then I wasn't sure. <laughs> nope, that's you said it right the first time. Okay, see, so I have so much self-doubt. Um, Joe, you are, because you probably need reminding, a senior security engineer <laughs> with the Information Security Institute at Johns Hopkins University. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're the co-host of the Hacking Humans podcast, part of the CyberWire Network. Yes, with Dave Bittner. Dave. Who has been a guest on this show. Bittner. He has. Bittner. <laughs> B-I-T-T-N-E-R. I'll have to look back. I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I can't remember. So is he not nervous that you might uh, outperform him on the show? He should be. I don't know if he's nervous or not. <laughs> We're going to find out <laughs> we'll on Twitter when he gets all riled up. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll rile him up for sure. So what do we got coming up, crew? Well, buckle up, listeners. We have a doozy this week. Cluely, you're investigating the novel ways a naughty app developer might track your whereabouts. Joe, you're sharing a Facebook snafu designed to fool even the tech savvy. And I've got a cautionary tale starring a malware victim and their cyber insurance policy. All this in Oodles More coming up on Smashing Security. Don't move a muscle. Now, fellows, fellows, word has reached us from China about what the police are doing over there. They have just arrested an app developer. Okay. Police in Nanjing, East China's Jiangsu province, have arrested a 30-year-old man known only by the surname of Wu. Hmm. I kind of like that. You like that? Yeah, I'd love to have a name that was just two letters long. (laughs) 
Everyone would remember it. Kind of cool. Ontario is kind of hard to remember how to spell. Yes, it's even hard for the French people. Well, uh, Mr. Wu, uh, his full name is a Mr. Wee, um, is uh, a computer <laughs> engineering graduate. And he created an app called App Detective. Oh, mm. my God. I would download that just on the name alone. <laughs> what does it do? Well, App Detective breaks into a smartphone's instant message database. So imagine you're using WhatsApp or something like that, or the local Chinese equivalent, and it grabs the user's location. So far, pretty creepy stuff, right? Not yeah, okay. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking that. <laughs> no, it's not the kind of app you would want to install, quite frankly. Right. So why have police arrested him? What, what have they said that he's doing with his app? Well, apparently he was selling this app to debt collectors who would track their target's whereabouts. And some 4,000 people have paid as little as one yuan, which is 15 cents, mm -hmm. to get people's static location, or the extraordinarily high price of 10 yuan, which is about $1.50, to track their target's movements in real time. Okay, okay, okay. So, so people that are downloading this are trying to keep track of what their like wife or husband or their kid well, or... Well, this is, this is the thing that you would normally expect that, wouldn't you? And there are plenty right. of apps, of course, which are sold on the basis of, you know, oh, keep a caring eye on your partner <laughs> right. and on your children. Reality is, are they cheating on you? Those are owned and operated by creeps. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, in this particular case, he was selling it, it seems, primarily to debt collectors and bounty hunters. So people who are trying to track somebody down. And it can be very difficult tracking someone down. I remember years... Crawl, do you remember years ago when I did a little bit of tracking for you? Me and our buddy Stevie Butts. <laughs> we were round our friend Petra's house and you said that there was a man in the neighbouring pub who you wanted to keep track of. I think it was a potential boyfriend or something. And Stevie and I hid. We, we disguised ourselves quite well. You guys took Petra's towel put it over your heads and then look through the pub window to see if he was there or not. Well, and well, Petra uh, and I were watching you from the attic window, killing ourselves. How, how did you see through the towel? Did you well, cut holes in the towel? Our, our, our principle was, if you've ever hit Shiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the bug bladder beast of troll, the, right. the, the beast is so dumb that it believes if it can't see you, you won't be able to see it. Right. So we took the principle <laughs> of putting a blanket over our heads. If we couldn't see, maybe they, we were... Absolutely no alcohol was involved we, we in were any of this at <laughs> all, Joe, I assure you. I'm sure of that, yeah. If only it had been, that would have been more understandable. <laughs> but uh, yes, so I understand the difficulty of tracking someone and, you know, sort of finding your quarry nice segue um, but this mm. this app it appears no towels were required debt collectors just could simply trick their target into installing the app okay now that's that's actually my crux of my, the crux of right. my question how how does a debt collector trick someone they want to collect a debt from into installing this app yeah oh. this this how, yeah. how naive are you joe am it's i so reading ahead it's so simple to do something like that. I mean, I think it's really up to the purchaser how they choose to want to do it. But okay. if you were to offer someone something like a, um, I don't know, 100 sexy wallpapers app or something ah, like that, or right. free ringtones. Yes, uh, if free ringtones, that's the hook that always like that. catches me. <laughs> then, then some people would install it. But I agree with you. You know, you But how think. do you weed out the people that you want to collect debt from versus the ones that are just... Well, you well, would send a link, wouldn't you? You would send a link to the specific Yeah, you people. have their email addresses, presumably, right? Yeah. 
Okay, so I have a list of people that are in debt, an email address. I then try and hook them in with a little fishy email saying, right. hey, hey, get mm-hmm. this app. It's really mm-hmm. cool. You fish them and they install this malicious app and then bang, you know where they are. So the idea is that people that go into debt really just want to track people. <laughs> oh, no, no, they're, they're, no, uh, no, they're being them, tracked. It's them being tracked by the right. people they owe money to, or at least the debt collectors who are going to collect it. So the heavies are going to come around. All they need to know is where you are at a particular time. And, the and app- then Moose and Rocco show up. <laughs> the gotcha. App, the app helps them do this. <laughs> and apparently the app was quite good at its job. It was capable of determining people's location within a margin of error of about 20 meters. And in all, the app is said to have made about $60,000, which... Um, you know, it's quite a lot of money when you consider that they were charging as little as 15 cents per go. Now, hmm. they, there was a lot of activity going on here. Now, one thought I had was, well, hang on. Why does the app need to crack an instant messaging app rather than just grabbing your location itself? And I, I, I've, I think I've come up with a theory on that, okay. which is... Normally, when you install an app on a modern phone, and I imagine most of the people being targeted here were running Androids, mm-hmm. the operating system is going to pop up and say, oh, this app requires... Location information. GPS, you know. Yeah. And you would think, well, why do I need that for my free ringtones and my sexy wallpaper? And Joe right. would say, no, I don't want to install that software, right? That's yeah. too many permissions for free ringtones and sexy wallpapers. <laughs> <laughs> but if the app manages to actually instead crack your phone to grab the information from your instant messaging app if it's able to query that maybe through a vulnerability or maybe because you're running an old version of android which doesn't have good enough security then that might be a more effective way to do it. i don't know but that's my yeah, theory as to why they're doing if. it that way yeah yeah it seems plausible to me it's certainly plausible i would i would agree it's plausible yeah. now he has been prosecuted now mr Wu. Mm-hmm. Uh, for allegedly writing the apps and stealing personal information. And two other frequent users of the app have been nabbed and are awaiting prosecution. But all of this got me thinking, what other novel ways might there be of tracking people? After all, like we said, you've got to trick someone into loading the app onto your smartphone. And it was at this point that one of our devoted Smashing Security listeners, Sarah Gatsky, she tweeted me, And she pointed me towards a thread on Twitter about a brand new pair of shoes. Now, do you guys remember Back to the Future 2 with Uh, Michael J. Fox? Not the original. Back to the Future 2, which has a pair of self-lacing shoes in it. He wears these Nikes, which sort of do themselves up because he goes into the future. I do remember seeing that. I think that's the only Back to the Future I haven't seen. I've seen one and three, but I don't think I've seen two. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this, definitely remember this, because I thought that, why not just use Velcro, basically? Well, like, <laughs> because anyway. they don't do it automatically, Crow. That was the whole thing. Yeah, well, yeah. If, did you know that a few years later, Nike actually produced a limited run of, of shoes like them? They, they sort of copied Marketing the design. geniuses. Yeah. And uh, in combination with Michael J. Fox's foundation, which fights Parkinson's and so forth, they auctioned mm-hmm. off yeah. a, a few hundred of these for a vast amount of money. And they raised a lot of money for charity, which is obviously fantastic. Well, the third generation of these self-lacing sneakers called the Nike Adapt BB has just been released. <laughs> okay. And these shoes, you're wondering where I'm oh, going Oh, they're this. not smart shoes, well, are they? Th- these shoes, they oh. will only set you back $350. Which is not Cheap. bad, right, <laughs> for self-lacing shoes. I would expect that to be a lot higher. You wouldn't have to bend over, right? God, that would help me so much. 
<laughs> I could breathe while tying my shoes. They remember how tight you like your shoes. They pair over Bluetooth. They receive software updates. Oh, we'll link to the tweet where someone has actually put up a screenshot of their phone. Of sorry, of their shoes. Updating the software on your shoes. Being charged wirelessly on a USB-C charging mat. Oh, no. While receiving a software update. (laughs) What's the point? What's the point? What is the point? Well, The future is stupid. Yes. (laughs) That's exactly, yes. All kinds of questions spring to mind here, right? Would you be allowed to take these on a plane? Does it need batteries? Oh, yes, it needs batteries. They're not like a a pair of double A batteries, Carol. They're like... (laughs) Recharge a few but, double D's in the, but, in the, in the around the ankle. Sell it to the side. Here's another issue I have with this: if these batteries are on presumably a very mobile part of your body, probably the part of your body that endures the most G-force, yeah, during the course mm-hmm. of a day, yes. How safe are those batteries? Yeah, loving lithium there, right? Well, <laughs> the, these apparently, the BB stands for basketball, so you can imagine it would be quite a rough sort of, you know, it's not a gentle stroll, is it? It's right, no. Be, it's a lot of sudden stops and starts. They have got a battery inside them, a microcontroller, an accelerometer, a gyroscope, a temperature sensor, a motor, a lights. They've got little lights at the side. Can they stop sensors. you if something dangerous comes across your path? They, they can't do that automatic <laughs> braking. Now, right now, and of course, by the way, there's an app. So you can actually go to your app to tighten the left or right shoe, Ugh. or you can press a button on the side of the shoe. Does it alert you if there's any damage and on the on the skin? <laughs> alert! Alert! I Small think, chafing of leather. I think the idea is that they they monitor the temperature so that they can loosen over time. So if the oh, if you get in case you get sweaty, they don't have fans exactly. that cool your feet so, off. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you are thinking, and I I assumed the same that, that this, this app ridiculous and these yep. sneakers would be tracking your location and your activity in counter steps. Well, apparently they aren't yet, uh-huh. but it sounds like it'd be an easy thing to add via a firmware update or adding new features to the app. But it's kind of inevitable that they will do at some point, won't they? Or the next version will. Right. And well, you don't even have to update the firmware on the shoes. You just have to update the app. Right. Because right? the, fir- the yeah. shoes probably don't have a GPS receiver in them, but the phone does. Right. Yeah. And so it's being all collected. You know, you have to wonder what will... In the future, shoe manufacturers be planning to do all that data. And I'm thinking, if you're finding it hard to get someone to install the app with the ringtones and the sexy wallpaper, mm-hmm. send them a pair of sneakers. Mm-hmm. And your average, <laughs> yeah. your average person. Yeah. Or tell them they 350 them. bucks. Just Girl, send them willy-nilly. Can... What kind of businessman are you? So, okay, so, so let's look at the business model here for a second. <laughs> I'm a collections person, right? Yes. So I have to spend 350 bucks for a pair of shoes. So that means that I have to have a bill collected or a bill to collect that's worth, going to profit me at least $350, right? You'll get the shoes back. When you collect it, you rip them off his feet and say, oi, they're mine. Uh, You'll be able to. Anyway, and in the future, the sneakers will be cheaper as well. This is the future of sneakers, right? Already, you don't need to put fuel in them, do you? They're all sort of... <laughs> okay. Well, you do have to charge them. You do have to charge them, yes. You have to charge them every fortnight, apparently. That's pretty good for a pair of shoes. I would imagine... That I would have thought more than that. But it's not just for debt collection, right? It's not right. just for tracking people. In the future, shoe manufacturers will know where you're going. They'll know if you stop for donuts. They know if you're exercising. <laughs> well, they, they, they will be your able shoes to monet- for that. They, they can do it be- through your phone now. They can monetize right. that data. Yes, but it's going to be happening more and more, Crow. Okay, great story. And if you've got, if you're dumb enough to spend three hundred and fifty dollars on sneakers, you've got other money to burn, probably, which big companies which, are going to be able to exploit, aren't they? 
Yeah, I've so just wh- given you a vision of the future. You can call me Nostradamus if you wish. But yeah, I that's the first s- word that came to mind. I, <laughs> <laughs> I am seeing an image of the future and where things are going. Oh. All right. So, Joe, have you got a story for us? Of course. Huzzah. So imagine that you are minding your own business, sitting at home, mm-hmm. and someone sends you a URL that says something like, hey, take a look at this on Facebook. Okay. I would be like, ha, oh, I don't have Facebook. But okay, I'll imagine if I did. Lucky yeah. you. I got to tell you, I have used Facebook less and less. The only reason I keep it around is to communicate with family. But ever since I stopped just getting on there on a regular basis, I find myself living a much happier life. Listen, people out there, listen to Joe. Get off it. Yeah, no Facebook February, right? That's what yeah. we believe in. Give it a try. Try and stop for a month. Right. So you're astute. You look at the URL, and it does indeed point to Facebook. It mm-hmm. says Facebook.com, and it has some other stuff after it. And you, you say, okay, I'll look at this. And bam, you very quickly lose control of your own Facebook account. How would this have happened? Uh, well, is it, so this isn't phishing. is isn't taking you to a it, login page or... It, it is phishing. It's, it's, it's a phishing email that they're sending you right. that, or, or a phishing message or something. But it is going to a Facebook page. So what has happened is there is a researcher, okay. Sam Ouda. I, I hope I'm saying that right. It's a, uh, a hacker alias, I guess. Uh, the O is a zero. And he found a vulnerable endpoint on Facebook at the URL facebook.com slash comet slash dialogue underscore do not use what <laughs> so this- that's the kind of thing i would do in one of my files right okay right now so it's like a button which says do not press yeah don't exactly press. <laughs> yeah what okay. is the first thing that a hacker does when you tell him or her not to use something what, do you, what happens when you do that to a two-year-old right. <laughs> same thing <To> anybody <laughs> I mean, it's, do not use hmm, this looks interesting <laughs> sam Ouda did some investigating and found a cross-site request forgery attack. Right. Right. An attacker could craft URLs. Okay. That start with you know this do not use URL and allow an attacker to do some stuff they shouldn't otherwise be able to do. Like they could make a post on a user's timeline. They could delete a user's profile picture. Or they could actually trick a user into totally deleting their account. Oh, wow. Oh, that, let's do more of that, please. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There you go, Carol. It's going to be. Uh, it, it, this is this is this is your mission in life now, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and finally, the the one thing that allows the the account takeover is they could change the user's email address, and and that's the key of taking over the account because if you've changed yeah. the email address, now you click on a link that says, "Oh, silly me, I forgot my password." Send me an email to reset it. And you get, uh, you get the email, and then you go in, you, you can reset the password. And once you have access, and once you've logged into the Facebook account, you can log the user out of all their other locations, and you have control of the account. Okay, so tell me, if unless someone had the same usernames on other accounts, what is the joy of having access to a Facebook account? For, you know, you want to get, lo- <laughs> what, what does an attacker get out of it? I guess if they're just doing it for the laws, they can mess somebody's life up. They could uh, impersonate somebody. Yeah, right? it's the social engineering so, stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Imagine that you're on Facebook and you start getting emails from or Facebook messages from someone you trust and someone mm-hmm. you know that's their account and you verify it's their account. 
and you know they're not using a, a spoofed account, which is another way that, that social engineering can take place on Facebook. But just imagine the difficulty of losing your Facebook account. How would you go back and re- restructure your Facebook account and reconnect with all your friends and then tell everybody that other Facebook account has been compromised? It, it would be just a, a nightmare for, for the individual user. It's horrendous. And imagine, for instance, you could have a jealous stalker or something like that, or an ex-partner who wanted to read your messages and right. so they mm-hmm. want to break into the account. Or maybe you are the administrator on a Facebook page. Yep. And mm. so cracking that personal account then gives you access to like a company or an organization's Facebook presence. And you could cause all kinds of Yes, harm, you could. You? There's a very good uh, use case for this, this vulnerability. Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. want to give anyone ideas. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> it's actually it actually is too late because Sam Ouda informed Facebook about this bug on January twenty sixth of this year, right. and by the thirty first, only five days later, Facebook had fixed the bug, and they issued on February twelfth a bug bounty to Sam Ouda in the amount of twenty five thousand dollars. Blow me away! That sounds almost reasonable, right. guys. I wonder how they write the check. <laughs> for Mr. Sammy, Sammy Zero right, I don't, Uda. I don't I know how they do that. Um, I, I imagine that they actually have his real name and they probably put him through a, a non-disclosure agreement stuff. Yeah. I mean, this seems like a, a, a pretty tragic error for them to make, leaving this thing with the... Was their fix simply to rename it from dialogue do not use to dialogue <laughs> no really, really do not use? I would imagine that Facebook actually did fix it. Probably, they probably just took it down. They probably just turned turned that machine off. But how and, many other how many other things look like, like this might be lurking out there? Well, you never know. There is absolutely no such thing as a perfectly secure system. That's something we tell mm. people over and over and over again. You know, the, the, the key of this vulnerability is that it was found on the Facebook network. So it would have appeared like a legitimate Facebook link. It yep. would have worked and there would have been nothing that Facebook would have had cognizance about unless they were tracking the usage of the do not use address. Right? Yeah. Mm. So but I would like to say kudos to Sam Uda for finding and reporting this bug and kudos to Facebook. There's something you don't hear every day, right? (laughs) (laughs) They'll be really happy to know that they've had some good news from us. They think, finally. Wasn't the UK government that called them digital gangsters last week? So, uh, yeah, they're going to be really touched. They're probably having tears of joy right now listening to your story, Joe. Kudos to Facebook for handling this so quickly and for paying a substantial bug bounty. Yeah. You know, one of my jobs here is to disclose vulnerabilities that we find and Nine times out of 10, I disclose a vulnerability to a company and I never hear anything back from yep. it. Mm. Nothing. Mm. So, well, you know, a tiny silver lining on an otherwise big, dark, crazy cloud yeah. of Facebook. Yeah, exactly. But it is fixed, so you can't do this anymore. Well, not with that URL. I wonder no. how, I wonder, <laughs> right. I, I wonder how he found it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's he must bizarre, have isn't it? Poking around. Yeah, crawl, crawl, crawl. But how are yep. you able to poke around Facebook to that extent to find a URL like that? That suggests to me that maybe they haven't locked down some things. Or maybe it's an ex-employee. Crawl through. Hmm. Knows his way around. Could be an ex-employee. The gardens. He probably planted it. Could be a current employee. (gasps) Oh, the conspiracy theory. You're just, what are you, Alex Jones? (laughs) (laughs) There is a similarity. (laughs) If you saw both of us sat behind the desk, turning purple in anger at the world. (laughs) Oh, crawl. Don't get me all riled up. What have you got for us? (laughs) Please, God. Um, 
Let me take you guys back to the crazy summer of 2017. So this was the year that Trump was inaugurated, began befriending Kim Jong-un. and Happy days, happy days. Podcast Smashing Security was just still a little wee baby. And during that summer of 2017, many a company faced the wrath of the not Petya malware. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know that NotPetya was this mass-spreading worm that used versions of the NSA's eternal blue SMB exploit. Uh, now, NotPetya successfully made huge companies buckle to their knees. Global ad giant WPP was taken offline. FedEx was badly hit. Shipping Goliath, Maersk, was crippled. And Wired had this article giving the inside scoop um, in the company. So listen to this, quote, within half an hour, Maersk employees were running down the hallways, yelling to their colleagues to turn off computers and disconnect them from Maersk's network before the malicious software could infect them. As it dawned on them that every minute could mean dozens or hundreds more corrupted PCs. You can just see the tech workers running into conference rooms and unplugging all the machines. So it wasn't your typical day at the office. It takes quite a lot for an IT guy to run as well. It's quite serious. <laughs> Normally they're kind of slouching along, aren't they? Just loafing around. But it's like, whoa, they're running. We've got a big problem here. They even said like staffers were hurling themselves over locked keycard gates, which had been paralyzed by the still mysterious malware. Mm-hmm. You should really read this article. It's fantastic. Another global giant that was hit was Fortune 500 company Mondelez. Do you know who they are, Graham Joe? Don't look. Don't read ahead. Uh, I have have read ahead. Well, you should know Mondelez. They're Illinois-based company, and they employ around 100,000 employees worldwide. Yeah. They are the mom and dad to Kraft Foods, Oreo cookies, and Cadbury's. So they're a big, yeah, they're big. So do they own Nabisco then? What's Nabisco? It's it's short for National Biscuit Company, Nabisco. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So they were hit by NotPetya, and they say they lost 1,700 servers and 24,000 laptops as a result of the oh malware. My gosh. So in its annual, in uh, Mondelez's annual report, which they filed with the SEC mm-hmm. in 2017, they stated that the net revenue loss amounted to $100 million. They also said that it had incremental expenses of $84 million. So that's $100, $100 million in lost revenue and then $84 million in recovery. Yeah. And it would have been so much less if those IT guys had just shifted their asses a bit faster, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what the, Did they put that in the report? <laughs> well, those were the guys at, uh, at Maersk. That were running around. Oh, you're right. But I'm sure they. I'm sure Mondelez were doing exactly the same thing. No, they weren't. They were stuffing themselves with Oreo cookies and Cadbury's chocolate bars. They were (laughs) popcorn and sweeties. Exactly. Can you imagine craft dinner? Don't even put Oreo cookies in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you love them. I do. I love them so much. So basically, Mondelez say they're almost 200 million out of pocket. Right? Oof. That's a. And this is only one percent of their turnover for the year. By the way. But that's uh-huh. 1% of their revenue. Pretty pretty substantial. So now before you say poor, poor Mondelez, you should know that they had cyber insurance with a company called Zurich Insurance. Uh, oh, thank heavens for that. I'm sure that they took care of everything. <laughs> exactly, Joe. They're so smart, right? They're, they're a good insurance company, and insurance companies always pay out whenever you have an incident for which you have insured yourself. Exactly. Just in case right? someone nips past your approved and reviewed defenses, you can insure yourself to recoup any losses. Great. Makes perfect sense. So if you go to the Zurich Insurance website, it says, enhance your cyber resilience with Zurich security and privacy coverage. Yes, let's do it. 
Yes. Yeah, and the marketing blurb touts first-party coverage includes digital asset replacement, expense coverage, business income loss, and dependent business income loss coverage, cyber extortion threat and reward payment coverage. Basically, we'll pay for everything. Just give us some money. Right. I'm signing up right now. Sounds worth it to me. I'm signing up. I'm signing up. The entire $200 million that, that Mondelez lost is coming back to them thanks to their policy with Zurich. <laughs> Good. I'm now, glad the story it, ends this way. You have to imagine it wouldn't have been cheap, right? It wouldn't have been chump change that they would have asked for to protect Mondelez, right? It's a big company. Correct. Yeah, that, that policy could not have been inexpensive. Perhaps no surprise to you both that the craft food company Mondelez put together an insurance claim. Yes. And filed the paperwork and waited for payday. Ka-ching. And they waited. And they waited. And mm-hmm. they waited. Sometimes it can take a while. It can take a while. You know, it's just, uh, wheels are in motion. It'll come, in, it'll come in soon. It'll arrive soon. The check's in the post. Yep. Well, in January this year, instead of mm. getting a check, Mondelez got the news that Zurich Insurance weren't going to honour the payment. What? <laughs> uh, they were refusing to foot the bill. And I was like, uh, I'm what? a guest. Really? Uh, how shocking. An insurance company not prepared to... Well, the policy apparently clearly states that, quote, all risks of physical loss or damage, as well as physical loss or damage to electronic data, program, software, yada, 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 we cover. So how are they wiggling out of paying Mondelez? And it's because they're saying it was an act of war. So you might remember (laughs) February last year, both the UK and the US government blamed Russia for the malicious NotPetya cyber attack. Experts believe that about 2,000 NotPetya attacks were launched, mainly aimed at the Ukraine. The Ukraine, as we know, has been locked in a simmering conflict with Russia since Moscow annexed Crimea in 2014. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. Hmm. Well, it just seems to me that maybe Mondelez need to sue the US and UK governments for concluding that it was Russia. Because if they hadn't done that, they would have got their payout. And maybe Mondelez needs to threaten the US and UK governments with a bombardment of Oreo cookies. <laughs> You're shooting my low tree. That's my big... I'm getting oh, is there. It? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Great minds. Very great minds. That never happened. Joe, have you got well, any theories? Have yes. you got any theories, well, Joe? How Mondelez can, can do this is they can, they can stop shipping Oreos and Cadbury bars to Russia. See, until they get their $200 million back. That's right. Bag. Hold them ransom. <laughs> right. Yeah, to their sweet tooth. Yep. Sorry, Crow. Carry on. I was fascinated. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. So Moscow, of course, is denying being behind the attack and calls the claims Russia-phobic. Mm-hmm. But an assessment from the National Cybersecurity Center in the UK clearly states that Russian military was almost certainly, and I'm quoting here, almost certainly responsible for the NotPetya cyber attack of June 2017. So, it seems that companies can be collateral damage when governments publicly blame other countries for hacks. Mm-hmm. So, now I'll insert what you just said, Graham, <laughs> earlier. <laughs> what's, the, what's the point? What's the point of governments publicly blaming other countries for hacks anyway? 
Is there because they never actually act? They never actually do anything afterwards, do they? I mean, sometimes right. they sometimes they might have a few sanctions or kick out a few diplomats or something. But it seems like they're doing more harm to the economy by blaming other countries. If this, I wonder how many other times this is happening. Well, you know, in hmm. this case, in this case, don't you think the U.S. would want to take the heat off itself because the malware used an NSA bit mm. of code? So it really wanted to oh. kind of say, oh, you see, it wasn't oh, our yes. fault. It was stolen from us, used by the <laughs> Russians. They're really, really great at hacking and stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there is no precedent for calling a cyber event an act of war yeah, as yet. That was, that was my thought, is that there, mm. there hasn't been a clear definition of what constitutes an act of war based on a cyber attack. Mm. There's no clear boundary across yeah. the planet as to what, what that is. Exactly. And it poses a bit of a pickle, right? Because now who's going to win? Is the insurance company going to be able to get out of this and think of the other clients it's been able to peddle its insurance to? Sorry, I shouldn't mm-hmm. use that word. Sell its insurance to. <laughs> and Well, you know what? It is kind of about time the insurance companies came out properly and, and positively from one of these things, because so often they're paying out, aren't they? <laughs> okay. and, uh, and for them to suffer, you know, another, that would be really rough on them. So I'm glad that for once they're getting the benefit of the doubt. And well, they're, they're something, something similar happened uh, on 9-11 when all those uh, people were killed in the World Trade Center and in the flight that crashed in Pennsylvania. The insurance company said, well, this is an act of war. We're not going to pay out. And the backlash was so severe that they just decided, okay, we're going to pay out. Right. Well, that's good news for Mondelez because they are seemingly a bit pissed at this response from their uh, <laughs> from their insurers, sure. who they've been paying yeah. for this exact reason. And um, they've decided to roll up their sleeves and fight for payday. Good. They're suing Zurich Insurance in Illinois courts for $100 million in damages. Only $100 million? Yeah, only $100 million, I know. Presumably, Zurich Insurance is itself insured against getting well, sued. Well, there is a lot of that. <laughs> and that's one of the big problems in the whole chain, because insurers have backers that insure right. them against losses. And then those insurers have backers. So there's this huge chain of money. And the problem, one of the problems they're seeing in the industry is that backers are going to demand more collateral. So anyway, it's going to be very, very expensive. And there's going to be a lot of little loopholes to watch out for. So the moral of the story is to take heed, listeners, <laughs> when it comes to cyber insurance. It's not a tried and tested field yet. No one should think they're safe as houses just because they're paying a monthly fee that's extortionate. Right. Do not assume they're going to honor the deal because we don't have a lot of precedent, a lot of time with this yet. So until there's a proper clarification on terminology, as you said, Joe, right? The, right. the terminology used by cyber insurers and the people they're trying to insure... It might be more cost effective to, for some firms out there to keep their own private pot of in case shit hits the fan money. <laughs> right. So in other words, you're advising people to be uh, cyber preppers. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's early days. Imagine getting the, getting the Mondelez account, right? That is a huge win. I don't care how big of an insurance company you, insurance company you are. That is a huge win for a company. And, right. and you oh, yeah. think they, of course, would get paid out because, you know, they're the, the ones, they're the creme de la creme. They're at the top, you know, the top tier of, of customer. And, but the problem in insurance is the big guys have much bigger payouts. So everyone loses, it seems, in insurance. Mm-hmm. The little guy loses because they can't get any attention. The big guy loses because the payouts are too big. Right. I wonder, I wonder how this has affected Zurich's ability to sell their insurance. Let's see how many listeners talk about it. Go, guys. Right. <laughs> exactly. Everyone. They're, they're all listening yeah. to this right now. Now they know well, about this. Well, there's lots of good links in the show notes about this. If you're interested, um, I'll uh, keep an eye on the story and uh, get Graham to tweet about it. <laughs> as appropriate. <laughs> I'm not a social girl. <laughs> 
Well, cool story, Carol. Cool story. Really interesting. Thank you very much. Recorded Future provides deep, detailed insight into emerging threats by automatically collecting and analysing billions of data points from the web. Every security team can benefit from that kind of threat intelligence. Grab yourself a copy of Recorded Future's free handbook, which explains why threat intelligence is an essential part of every organisation's defence against the latest cyber attacks. Go and get it at smashingsecurity.com slash intelligence. And thanks to Recorded Future for supporting the show. Hey, what's your password for your email? Do you even know it? I don't. I trust LastPass Enterprise to remember it for me because it's so long, so complex, and so unique. I couldn't possibly remember all my passwords for all my accounts. Let LastPass Enterprise do the hard work for you because they take security seriously and they're really responsive. Check out LastPass Enterprise at lastpass.com slash smashing. On with the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favorite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. It could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they like. Doesn't have to be security-related, necessarily. Can sometimes be, though, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Maybe. Doesn't Carol, have to be. Do you have a security-related pick of the week? <laughs> I might. Um, okay. Well, my pick of the week is a little bit curious. My pick of the week is a website um, called... Well, it does something rather startling. If you go to thispersondoesnotexist.com, hmm. every time you visit it, it will show you a picture of a random person. And you just refresh the page. This person does not exist.com. Tick, tick, tick. Keep on refreshing, and you'll see different people popping up. And what's amazing about this is that these people don't exist, they're entirely computer generated. They are all computer generated? They are all apparently computer generated. Oh, this one looks like he's computer generated. He's got a weird ear. Well, occasionally you get someone who looks a little bit odd. With a, a, a weird ear or, you know, an extra eye or something. But the, the majority of them are really surprisingly convincing. And you can imagine them being on the About Us page for some tech startup. There's the head of engineering. That guy's <laughs> clearly working in IT support. Oh, he's a VP. Um, so it, it, this page has been created by a software engineer called Philip Wang. And he developed the site, thispersondoesnotexist.com, using an artificial intelligence algorithm called StyleGAN, which was developed by the dudes at NVIDIA. And it's quite startling how realistic so a lot of I've these been, images uh, are. So about this, right? And uh, there's a few oh, okay. hacks on how you can tell, apparently. I'm just trying to... And I haven't done oh, them a really? lot myself, so I was just going through the pictures while you were talking, so I didn't listen to anything you said. Mm. Yeah, tell me, mm. because I'm looking at this site right now, and if these people don't exist, this is terrifyingly yeah. real. So one of the ways, apparently, is looking for uh, wrinkles, both on the top of the face and the bottom of the face, being kind of similarly aged, like in terms right. of you know, someone being 18 and someone being 45 might have a different set of look, right? Um, color, skin tone as well. So they, they kind of bleed into each other. But occasionally, if you look at the very top and the very bottom, you'll say, oh, that's not the same person. 
Yeah, but this might be true of some of them, but a lot of... Th- on Reddit, certainly, they were all like, of course, of course, it's very easy, it's very easy. I'm not sure it's that easy. I'm looking at one at the moment. They're really rather hot. You know, it's like, I, I really rather what? wish they... T- no, it's just like, ding dong, you know? They're quite oh, attractive. God, really? Yes, I'm looking... Next, I'm next. looking at quite an attractive <laughs> Where are you one? looking? Because I'm looking at all average-looking people. Oh, no, I've got, well, you know, I don't know how picky you are, but oh, I'm, okay. <laughs> so, some of them are like, oh, yeah, you're, you look quite nice. None but, of these men is Graham Cluley handsome. Now, <laughs> now, thank you. Now, um, you might be thinking, so it's a curious webpage, and I think it has some interesting implications as well, because first of it's all. It's scary as heck, come with Joe. Well, yeah. right. And I was also thinking, following our discussion in last week's episode, Kroll, about catfishing and extortion scams. One of the pieces of advice you gave people is you should reverse image search mm-hmm. the images right. that people give you because what a scammer might do is find an image of someone on the internet, pretend that they are that person. Well, if you used a site like this to generate the image... You're not going to get any hits on that Google search. You aren't going to get any hits at all, are you? Right. And I wonder, I, I, I guess you would never have the same fake face doing different expressions. Of course you could. Yeah, they may have to play around a little bit more. I think that's probably the way in which things are going. But it right, is... if I could generate multiple pictures of the same person that doesn't exist, that would be great for that social engineering attack. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, fascinating website, uh, or equally terrifying. Terrifying times, fascinating website. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, go and check it out for yourself. Thispersondoesnotexist.com. And we'll put some links in the show notes. Joe, what's your pick of the week? Do you like rugby, Graham? Is, is that the place or in Yorkshire? Is, is, is that... That's the one... That's the sport where people get cauliflower ears. Yes. Physical sport. Physical it is a sport, physical sport. Rugby yeah. union. Yeah. I, I don't really believe in physical sports. I view them as games. I, oh. I view chess as a sport. I th- these other things are just for kids, really, I think. Um, it's, okay. Well, maybe cr- this isn't going to be a great pick of the week for you then, well, Graham. What, uh, Carol, do you like rugby? I'm going to be very enthusiastic. Tell me everything, Joe. She's a very <laughs> sturdy winger. She, she'd, do, she'd do well. What? Hey. what? You used yes, a term. a sturdy word. <laughs> yeah. You've been on the running machine today, clearly? <laughs> no. <laughs> I will do after this. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Okay. Take that bit out. I know you will have anyway, Carol. <laughs> so. so I got into rugby about 10 years ago when I was just flipping through the channel and I happened to see Ireland's team playing in the Six Nations tournament. Uh, and I kind of fell in love with the sport and I've been watching it or trying to watch it ever since. Hmm. And my interest grew, but I really wanted to see uh, the Guinness Pro 14 teams play rugby, uh, which okay. I, I couldn't do until this year. Thanks to uh, ESPN here in the United States, they have a product called ESPN Plus. Now, normally, I wouldn't consider paying for a premium service like this. I'm not so into sports that that I would pay for ESPN Plus. But what you can get with ESPN Plus is you can watch almost all the matches from the Guinness Pro 14 here in the U.S. And uh, also, you can see the nascent, uh, here in the U.S. again, Major League Rugby. It costs about $50 a year. And... I've been enjoying it. Yeah, if you're a rugby fan, this is like, this is the bomb. It's pretty great value, isn't it? It is. And for our other American listeners, we should explain that rugby is like American football, but without all the namby-pamby padding and helmets and all that stuff. It's nonstop action. In an American football game, you'll get like 11 minutes of action out of 60 minutes of play. And in a rugby game, they're 80 minutes long, and you'll probably get 
uh, 60 minutes of, of action out of it. Mm. You guys like a lot of violin-y stuff, though. Like, you, didn't you, don't you guys have that ultimate fighting or something? Cage fighting? Yeah, yeah, we do. And there's, like, people that pay money for gladiators that. Gladiators. Yeah. yeah, gladiators. Feeding yeah. Christians Whoa. to the lions. Oh, that wasn't the Americans, was it? There's <laughs> no. another, some other people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. That's cool. I think, 50 do- I think if you're into rugby, that's a fantastic deal, really, isn't it? $50 for the entire year. It used to be a lot more money for that, and there were there were things like rugby pass, which you couldn't get in the U.S. that are like one hundred and fifty dollars a year for watching rugby. But here you can get uh, a lot of rugby for fifty. You bucks. don't have to do any craftiness, like setting up a VPN or anything to pretend you're in another country. This is actually being served now to the United States as well. It is being served out to the United States right now. And when this app initially rolled out, they had some issues with authentication expiring rapidly. So every time I started up the app, I'd have to log in again. But uh-huh. now they've got that fixed, and they've got some of the kinks worked out, and it works pretty well. Yeah, this is the second time someone's talked sport, I think, on our show. I think the first was John Leiden. I, I do mention chess a lot, Carol. It is a sport. Okay, what's your pick of the week, Carol? So my pick of the week on this bleak February afternoon is funny, right? Yay, we needed a bit of sunshine. So uh, it is a tiny bit computer related. So sue me, Cluely, sue me. (laughs) So this is the fun work of Trevor Moore. He's a musical comedian who cut his teeth at Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. And he's a little bit like the Flight of the Concords got wooed by Weird Al Yankovic and they had a love child and that child is called Trevor Moore. Okay. Yeah. So my pick of the week is his song and video called My Computer Just Became Self-Aware. Now, I've only heard one other cyber-based song and that was Kaspersky's Packing the K (laughs) rap song. Anyway... Let's take a little quick listen to my computer just became self-aware. So you're just screwed. Went back home with my laptop that's completely brick. Yelp reviewed that everybody at Apple is a dick. Feeling sad and depressed, so I packed me a hit. And then computer said, dude, do you have more of that shit? My computer just became self-aware. And now it's fucked up on drugs and it is out on a tear. It's talking crazy and it's updating its own software. And it wants more, so humanity had better beware. My laptop is talking and this doesn't make sense. The first case of legit artificial intelligence. I guess the scientist guys are working. Funny, right? You can listen to the whole thing on YouTube. Happy February. I know you love it. There you go. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Kroll. And thank you, Joe, as well, for joining us on the show for your first time. I hope you won't be a stranger and you'll come back again. If people want to follow you online, which I'm sure they will, what's the best way for folks to do that, Joe? They can follow me on Twitter at JT Kerrigan, C-A-R-R-I-G-A-N. Awesome. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. And you can join in the discussion on Reddit as well. Uh, just go to smashinsecurity.com slash Reddit, uh, where we are having a thriving little community chatting about everything on the show. And please slap your hands together for this week's sponsors, LastPass and Recorded Future. Their support helps us give you this show for free. And high fives to all of you, our wonderful dear listeners. And before you do anything else, go check us out on CastBox. They are a podcast service that supports some brilliant shows, including Smashing Security. How brilliant is that? Yeah, it's a great app for listening to all of your podcasts. Go and check it out and subscribe to us and you'll never miss another show. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Later, skaters. See ya. Well, there we go. There we go. I'm going to hit stop recording. Don't close your browser.